Thank you for joining in uh, in that with us. So I have something really exciting I get to bring up here. We're going to have a little bit of story time, but uh, with a special guest who's going to be coming by to share something that's just going to, I think, bless us massively to take a little bit of a look at the kind of impact we can have as a church in, in the small ways, but really it's not even us, it's God at work using us. And it's such a privilege that God does use us in that way, just like Jen was saying. So Pastor Rob, come on up. Wearing pants, by the way. Not that he is never not clothed. He just wears shorts a lot for those who haven't been here. I, I do want to just do a little intro, too, for, for any of you who might not know Pastor Rob. Um, was here for the past couple years. Started the week after we moved our services online in 2020. Got to spend his first year pastoring us through a transition season after uh, Pastor Dan had retired online. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, but then just uh, came, walked us through a, a challenging season socially, culturally, helped to move our church in new, new directions, and through that we had a lot of fun behind the scenes. We got to explore a lot. We got stressed and stretched a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just an absolute privilege to have you here. So uh, what do you have for us, Rob? Uh, you called me up and you're like, I've got something I just, I got to share with you, and I want to bless the church with it, so. Sure. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning, and I will be leaving as soon as I've shared this story with you, because I need to get back to the church that has given me permission to be here this morning, because um, <clears throat> I'm in South Langley these days at a great church there, and there's a number of you who have relatives there, and that's pretty, pretty neat. I wanted to make sure that I passed on my greetings from Jackie who, uh, it's been a season for us, for sure, since uh, leaving, um, hey, David, since leaving uh, here, um, Jackie was diagnosed with breast cancer in September, and uh, I know that many of you know that, and uh, I have been praying, and we're grateful for that. So for those of you who didn't, we would welcome your prayers for her as well. She's just recently had surgery and is recovering and has not been able to really participate in life at South Langley Church uh, yet. So <clears throat> I come to you with a heavy heart, but a hopeful heart too. And maybe you've come that way too this morning. When I had this encounter Good Friday uh, that I'll describe in a moment, I immediately thought this is a, a story too good not to share because uh, we are all looking for that hope of partnering with the God of the universe in the very smallest of things uh, that change people forever, including ourselves. And so to contextualize the story, I'll say this. From, we're going to preach through um, the book of Philippians in May and June, uh, my co-pastor and I. And it begins, Paul does, his letter to that church in Philippi. I thank my God every time I remember you. And I want you to know that's exactly how I feel about this church and you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, this, by the way, is my we used, to, we used to select life verses at baptism, and maybe we still do. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So 
I was at the CLA, which is the Christian Life Assembly in Langley, total newbie, uh, didn't, I've never set my foot in the church. I was um, invited as the guy who had been on staff locally for a couple of months to lead the communion time of that service on Good Friday. Walked in, didn't know a soul, into a prayer room before the service, the green room if you liked, didn't know how communion was going to go down. So I had said to Jesus, I'm willing to partner with you in this thing. Uh, can you help me through? Because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And, it, and we're talking about the pre-service, and people are going through their roles, and, and the guy leading the service says, and who's doing, and literally, and who's doing the communion? I'm like, over here, over here. And so we get through all of that, and I was in shorts, by the way, in case you're wondering, for that service. And after the service, a young man comes down and comes right to me and says, I love your shorts. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> that was a fantasy encounter. Um, he came right down to me and he said, do you remember me? I said, because he looked familiar. I said, I, I, I wished I did. I, I, I'm pretty close. He says, it's Joel. Joel, do you mean parking lot Joel who lived in his car at the church in Mission? That Joel? I said, yeah. What? I just hugged him and hugged him and hugged him. This is like a, a miracle coming true, right? And he says to me, would you, would you please tell that church how thankful I am? He went as far as to say, they may have saved my life. So to remember Joel, many of us had a concern about him living in his car on our property as a liability to us. Do you remember that? And that's, that's real. I won't, I won't dismiss that as not important. But you know what's way more important? Loving that young man. And you went from the concern around liability, we addressed it in a contract with him, and you went from that concern to the greater concern, in my opinion, and in Jesus' opinion, I believe, and you started bringing him food, and you started bringing him job clippings, and you started praying for him. So Joel looked like a totally different human being. When he was here, he was struggling with addictions. His hair was long and it was greasy and he was struggling. He had a girlfriend then whose parents hated him and that was a significant barrier in their relationship. He was clean cut and bright and optimistic. And I said, Whoa, why are you, what brought you here? My girlfriend goes to the church and we're going to this church. Like, what? <laughs> so I hugged him again. I'm just here to tell you, stay that course. 
Jesus Christ is inviting you every day into some things all the time. If we have breath in our lungs because of him, we can pass that along to others, the love that we are consumed by, that we just sung about. It starts there, no doubt about it. If you are not convinced that Jesus is head over heels in love with you, it'll be hard to pass that along. If you are, then he's saying, to the least of these, all the time, be ready. I love everybody equally, and I want them grafted into my family of faith. You guys are so fortunate to have, uh, to have Grant here. I, I, I joke about this all the time. I am aggressively looking for a way to hire him away from you. <laughs> I adore him and his wife, and I'm really, really proud of you for hiring Michael. That's a stretch for you. I get that. Really proud of you. Well done. Can I pray for you and Grant and Michael, particularly uh, as they wait on their second born? Before I head out, can I do that? Or do you have any questions? Is there time for questions? Okay. <laughs> You're the boss, buddy. Let's not do questions. Uh, I need to leave. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm still at rob.air.65 at gmail.com. So let's pray. Father, uh, it's not all the time that we're able to connect the dots like this. Often it is a case of us, oh, you know, just trying to be obedient and knowing that in that, that's, that's good enough. That, not good enough like we're measuring up, but that's, that's privilege, right? That you've invited us into this crazy, I would say <laughs> reckless in the sense that it doesn't make sense. Grace doesn't make sense. To love people without condition doesn't make sense, but you've done that. Thank you that you connected this dot for us to know, to see, to be reminded that when we participate in things that are bigger than us, it doesn't always take something huge. It can be something pretty small. And it is always, it is always, it is always obedience. John says in his letter, to love God is to obey his commands. Let's rephrase that. To love God is to follow the invitation to spread his grace. So I thank you for Cedar Valley. I'm grateful for the pastoral leadership here. I pray for Michael. I pray for Grant and their partners that you would strengthen them and encourage them and give them wisdom. And that as a church, as a whole, we'd be supportive and look to help where we can. And always, everywhere we are, just be ready to partner with you in the great things that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Oh. <laughs> like, who, 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 who's who, hugging me? Who are you? Huh? <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Did you want this? Yeah, I mean, it's your church, man. You know, uh, Rob and Jackie uh, poured their heart out for us while they were here, and they forever will be a part of this congregation, regardless of the fact that they're now serving in South Langley. And I think the Holy Spirit just moved me to say it would be amiss if we did not stand in unity with Rob and pray for Jackie and just ask the Holy Spirit to be with her. So why don't we just do that?
Our loving Lord, we just come to you with the breath of life that you've instilled into us. Mm-hmm. That breath that makes us a unique part of your creation. You have given us a place in creation that is above the rest because you have loved us so greatly and from your very moments of creativity you've made us a special people. And Lord God, we read in the book of Peter that we are a chosen people and we are to be a royal priesthood. And so right now, Lord God, as a congregation, as a priesthood, we lift Jackie before you. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit comes upon her in a special way. Lord God, you know her body from top to bottom. You know in and out everything that she needs. But Lord God, we just pray for her heart, her spirit and her soul to find your rest and peace as she travels through this journey. And we just thank you, Father, that Rob is there with her and the South Langley Church to come around them and bless them and be a blessing to them. Lord God, we pray for healing, strength and health for Jackie. And we leave her in your arms, Lord Jesus, because there is no better place that she could be than in your arms. We thank you for faith, love, and grace, and all of these come from you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Rob. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. It is incredible. There is literally no act too small or insignificant that God can't save a life through. So, like, never pass up on that opportunity. Never pass up on the nudging for something that you think has no point. It's amazing the things God can do to connect the pieces when he uses the church, when he uses his people to bring new life, uh, as we're talking about today. It's massive. And through prayer, too. So thank you so much, Carl, for the prayer. And, and as well, I just want to throw an invite as well. We do have, we pray as a church. And some of those things, we just don't know. We don't know through the grapevine, right? And, and uh, to pray, asking people for prayer is one step. Uh, asking to, we have the tools like using the prayer chain at the church. You can call in, phone in, email in, use the thing on the website too, just so we can spread the word out, but also following up. Like, what's going on with this? How's the healing going? How has God moved through that? Because that's where we can see God actually at work rather than just throwing it out there and having no idea where it goes. So uh, thank you for being a praying church. It's amazing to see God's faithfulness in action here and that he's present and he still changes people's lives. So thank you, church. You are a huge, well, you are the reason why these things happen. It's amazing. Food bringing out to a guy camping out in the parking lot is one of the best things we can do. As a Mennonite church, right? Bring out some great food and some tinfoil. It's incredible. Uh, this morning, Pastor Michael's not here. Uh, as, as I kind of mentioned, uh, in an exciting way, they are at the hospital looking to grow their family. So don't have any updates at this point yet, but uh, God was clearly nudging us because this week we thought, earlier this week, we're like, maybe we should record your message a bit. Just, you know, who, know, who knows what will happen, right? So this morning, Pastor Michael is bringing us the word through the screen behind me here. So we're just going to engage in that, and then we'll follow up with just a reflection, a time of singing and prayer too. Hey, good morning, church. It's awesome to be here with you, sort of here with you this morning. Um, Yeah, if you're watching this, then it probably means something exciting is happening in my life that I'm missing out. 
we wanted to be extra sure that everything went smoothly, so we're just filming this ahead of time. That being said, we're jumping into our final week of our series, Running to Life from Death. And it's an Easter series. It's about the story around Easter. And last week was Easter, but we're not actually at the end of the story yet. Because Running to Life from Death is about how Christ overcame death and how he invites us to participate in his victory over death. And while Christ has won the victory, have you we won the victory? Have you won the victory? Have you crossed the finish line? That's the question today. I want to share a key passage. It's in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Let's open up in prayer before we get into this too much. God, thank you so much that we get to be part of your victory over death that you actually invite us into new life. I pray that this morning you would help us see clearly where we're at in relation to you, where we're at in relation to what you're doing, and that we would become closer followers of you, that you would invite us into a deeper relationship, into a deeper walk with you, and a deeper experience of the new life that you have given us. In your name, amen. So talking about finish lines is interesting because there's different sorts of finish lines in life. Um, in high school, I was into racing bikes and like I had the spandex, everything. I was full bike racer mode. And in bike racing, there's different types of races. A normal road race where it's like you race, you know, 50 kilometers, you go in a loop, you get to the finish line, you go across the finish line, the race is done. You know where the finish line is at. And it's interesting because you come up to the finish line, there's the 1K sign. You're like, okay, get ready for it. And then there's the 400K sign. So you start pushing, trying to get up to the front. And there's a the 200 meter line and you're sprinting for the finish line. And you come across the line and you'll see riders just like collapse and fall over. And like you, in your head before you get to the finish line, you're just like, hey, once I get to the finish line, it's all done. The pain is over because... You're just in like a crazy amount of pain, just pushing yourself as hard as you can, right? And you're like, the pain's over, I'll feel better, I'll eat some pizza, it'll be great. And you get across the finish line, you collapse, and you're like, oh, wait a second. It actually takes about 20 minutes for the pain to subside, but you know you're done. But then there's other bike races, like there's one called a Criterium, where it's often around like a couple city blocks, and so each lap is about a minute. And it doesn't matter how fast or slow you ride the race, it takes the same amount of time because they're like, this is a 35 minute race or a 45 minute race. And so they time in, they figure out how long your laps are taking. And then with about five laps to go, they're like, okay, five laps to go. And so then you finally know where the finish line is going to be at. And you race and you pace yourself for the finish line. You get to the finish line and you stop. But then it's funny because there's a type of bike race that I've invented with my son, Ivor. He's just started riding his little bike and he can't, it doesn't even have pedals on it. It's just like a little run bike, but he loves riding his bike with me. And so we do a little race and the race is that he races to data. 
And when he gets to data, he crashes into data's back wheel. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, you got me. And he thinks it's the best thing ever. Like little maniac toddler laugh. They got me. He won the race. He crossed the finish line when he crashes into dad's bike with his bike. And hopefully nobody gets hurt. But it's funny because he never knows where the finish line is at. Because sometimes I'll just pedal along slowly and he can just catch up to me. Sometimes I'll pedal away really fast and it takes him a little bit while to get to me. Other times I stopped and the finish line is always moving. And it's like the finish line isn't a fixed point. The finish line is actually me. And so it can be confusing sometimes if you don't know what type of race you're in, if you don't know what the finish line looks like. And in this journey of running to life from death, there's a question of where's the finish line, right? And we've talked about how we're born in enemy territory, how we're born in death, how we start in death. We've talked about this new kind of life. We've talked about some of the challenges along the way. But where's the finish line? And I love it because we've been walking through the story of the, what happened right after Christ rose from the dead, right after the resurrection in John chapter 20. And last week we talked about how Jesus came into the room of these disciples that were filled with fear. He said, my peace be with you. And they faced fear. And it changed their whole perspective on everything. And how death was dead and how death is dying in our lives. But somebody in that room, who was supposed to be in that room, wasn't in that room. Somebody actually missed out on that. And that person was Thomas. He has a bad reputation in the Bible because, you know, like when you, you, like everybody's here, but one person's actually not. They don't get tagged in the photos. They missed out. Thomas was that guy. So he gets called Doubting Thomas. So let's jump into Thomas's story. Verse 24 of chapter 20 of the book of John. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. And so they told him, we have seen the Lord. You weren't there. You said you were going to be there. You're like, oh yeah, I'll probably be there. And then you flaked. Actually, I don't know what he said. But you know how it goes with friends. He wasn't there. So they're like, we've seen the Lord. And they told him all about it. And they were probably telling about how they, like, they stuck their fingers in his wounds and it was super nasty and there's probably somebody like really grossed out in the corner like I would be the one who's like please don't tell me about this this is really gross I don't know but tell him about it and how does Thomas respond Thomas replied I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound in his side again really gross but Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe this unless I actually experience this. You can tell me all about it. I can know everything, but I need to experience this before I believe it. And so then eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Jesus shows up in the locked room. He says, peace be with you. And they said to Thomas, okay, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Jesus gives Thomas a direction. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas exclaims something. It's interesting because this exclamation 
in the original language meant that he considered it and then he responded. Jesus said, hey, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Consider this and respond. Jesus considers it and responds by saying, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is Thomas's finish line moment. This is a moment where he goes, I've known about Jesus. I heard the stories about him being back to life. The other, my friends have told me, I understand it, but I don't believe it. And finally, Jesus is like, okay, now that you've experienced this, now that this is so clear to you, how are you going to respond? And Jesus, and Thomas responds being like, you're really the Lord. You're really the one in charge of my life, the control, the master of my life, and you are my God. And the, book, the author of the book of John, John, surprisingly, the name of the author is John, continues on after this saying something interesting. He says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miracle, miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you, not Thomas, you, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of of his name. And we can ask so often, where's the finish line in my faith? When do I really get to life? If I'm running from death to life, where's the finish line? Is it when I start going to church every Sunday? Is it if I pray the prayer and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Is that the finish line? Is the finish line if I join a community group or a small group? Is the finish line if I get baptized? Is the finish line when I start serving in the church? Is the finish line when I tell one of my friends about my faith? Or is the finish line, do I have to tell like 10 of my friends before I get to the finish line? Maybe I need to like read the whole Bible first. Maybe that's the finish line. It's once I've read the whole Bible. And that's actually a lot of work. I just found in Chronicles, there's more genealogies. I didn't realize that. I'd forgotten that. It was an unpleasant surprise. So I've been digging through that. But all of that, sometimes in our faith, we're like, where is the finish line? When have we finally actually made it to life? And John wraps up the book of John by saying, here's the finish line. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. That new life that we're running to by the power of Jesus' name. So there's the finish line. The finish line is the point that we say, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my Savior. And we accept Christ for who he is, both as the Lord and over our life and the Savior of our life. And it's interesting because there's this image that Jesus before he even explained this whole process, he gave this image, he showed it to us himself of baptism. And people didn't really get it at the time because Easter hadn't happened yet. The death and resurrection hadn't happened yet. But they gave this image of baptism where if we join Christ's victory over death, we go under the water to represent our old self dying. And then we rise back out of the water to represent rising to new life in Christ. 
and joining in the victory that Christ has over death. And so internally, we say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior. And externally, we show that and we experience that community and publicly through baptism. So that's the finish line. Yes and no. That's the funny thing about the finish line. There's some finish lines that stay in one spot and there's other finish lines that move. And this is the finish line that moves. It gets complicated. It's so good though. So if we look earlier in John, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But when Jesus says, I am the life, this life we are running to is not a fixed object. It's actually a living person. It's Jesus himself. So we're running from death to life. We're running from death to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't stay still. Jesus is a moving target. And so really to get to the finish line, we have to go to where Jesus is at. And he knew this was going to be confusing, so he gives a great image of that. He knew it was going to be confusing, so he gives us this image of the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 14 to 16, he describes this a little bit. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. It was foreshadowing that he was going to die for us and be raised back to life. So I sacrificed my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. And it's interesting that he says this because in this passage, he's, not, he's speaking to a group of religious leaders, of the religiously devout. It's almost as if he's speaking to a church on Sunday morning. He could be here on Sunday morning. He could say, hey guys, I'm here for you, but I have other sheep too. And they're not just in other churches. They're out in the world. They're not even in a church yet. So I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and it'll be one flock with one shepherd. And so Jesus gives us this illustration of him coming to humanity as a shepherd. And humanity is sheep. And there's different stories. There's a story of how he has a flock of 100 sheep. And 99 are safe in the barn, but one is lost. And so he goes out to find that lost sheep and rescue them and bring them back. And in this journey from death to life, it's like we're sheep and we're running to the shepherd. And sometimes we're a sheep lost out in the wilderness. And maybe we're happy in the wilderness. We're content in the wilderness. We're like, I'm alive and breathing. I'm figuring out how to get by. It's a little bit rough in the wilderness. It's a little scary. There's wolves and there's, it's hard to find water and food, but it's okay. I'm good. I'm surviving. Or other times we're injured or we're sick or we get stuck in the brambles and we need rescue. And so we need the shepherd. And we say, I want to run to life. I want to run to the shepherd from the death of being lost out here in the wilderness. It's crazy because in that parable, Jesus says that the shepherd went to the sheep. So sometimes the finish line is literally running to us. We're just calling out saying, hey, I can't do anything. I need help. Just, God, I need you. And the shepherd runs to us. And we cross the finish line. The shepherd comes to us. He rescues us. He gets us untangled from the brambles. He heals us. He carries us if we have a broken leg. And we made it to the finish line. 
And then he brings us to the barn. And we're healed up and we're rested up. We're in the sheepfold, the barn. It's great. We're in the church community. It's great. But then the shepherd leads us out to green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. And some of us are so comfortable in the barn. We're like, hey, there's alfalfa, there's hay. I just want to stay here. And we don't go out with the shepherd. Some of us, we say, hey, I got to life with Christ. I experienced this new life. I crossed the finish line. I'm at church. I don't want to leave the church community. I don't want to actually go out into the world again and do the work of God because I want to stay here where it's comfortable. And the life actually walks away from us because we're not listening. We're not following him. Or some of us, we run to the father, we run to the shepherd and we find life. And then we're like, okay, that's great. I've got enough life. I'm going to go out and find my own pasture. I don't like dealing with church people or that community. I don't need a flock. But Jesus said, there's one shepherd and one flock. And we're like, ah, that's good for you, but that's not what I need. And we go off on our own. And we go away from this new life. Away from the finish line. So I want to challenge you to think about where are you in this picture? If Jesus is this good shepherd, if Jesus is the life, are you still out there in the wilderness on your own? And maybe you still say, hey, I'm tough. I don't need a shepherd. Or maybe you're kind of going, "Uh I kind of need a shepherd. I kind of need some rescue here. And you need to run to the finish line. You need to run to the shepherd for the first time and say, my Lord and my God. And internally in your heart, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and externally express that through baptism. Or maybe you've gone to the shepherd, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have a relationship with him, but then you're like, you know what? I like doing my own thing. And you're not being part of the church community. You're not part of the flock. You're trying to go out on your own and find your own pasture. And God's calling you back saying, hey, walk with me where I'm going. Or maybe you got a little too comfy in the barn. Because the barn is good at night. It's good for safety and protection and for storing hay and alfalfa. But it's not where we're meant to be all day. We're supposed to actually go out in the day into the pasture. And maybe you're just comfortable in the church and you're not stepping out into your community. When Christ goes out into your community to speak to your neighbor who doesn't know him yet. Does it work in the life of your coworker who doesn't know Christ yet? To work in your, the life of your classmate who doesn't know Christ yet? When Christ goes out to do that, do you go with him or do you say, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about my faith here. I don't want to be part of what God's doing here. I just want to talk about my faith at church where it's safe in the barn. Or are you walking with the good shepherd? Are you walking in this new life wherever he goes? in the church, in the community, in your family. I want to challenge you to think about where are you at right now? Are you out in your own pasture? Are you hiding in the barn? Are you lost in the wilderness? Are you walking with him? Where's the good shepherd going right now that you can see? Where's he calling you? 
And can you take one step towards that this week? Can you take one step towards the finish line this week? One step towards where God's working right now. When we look at the end of this passage in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written so you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you will have life by the power of his name. It's not you will have life by crossing the finish line once, but you have life by the power of his name. His power is attached to him. We live in this new life by being with Christ. And whatever he's doing, wherever he is in our world. We don't experience this power by going to him and saying, Hey God, I need this power. And now it's in my name. No, it's in his name. And so if you haven't crossed the finish line yet, if you've never made it there, I'd encourage you to talk to Grant or I. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord or Savior, or maybe you have, but you haven't ever done the outward expression through baptism, I'd love for you to talk to Grant or I after the service or look on our website, just reach out to us through there. And we'd love to talk to you about that process, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time but you haven't been baptized, or maybe this is new to you, maybe you're even still trying to figure out where you're at. We'd love to have that conversation. But maybe you've run to life before. But life moves somewhere else. Life, Jesus is working, he's gone out to the pasture and he's called you there and you haven't gone there yet. Or maybe he's called you back to the barn and you're wanting to stay out in the field. Or maybe you went out and found your own field. Wherever you found yourself, I encourage you to continue to run to life. Walk with Christ so we can live by the power of Christ in his new life. Let's close up in prayer. God, I thank you that you're living and you're active. You don't stay in one spot. You don't just say, hey, come to me and I'll give you life and we'll just stay here. But that you're continuing to work, that you're continuing to find more lost sheep, that you're continuing to call us into your work. And I pray that we'd be faithful, that we'd listen to your voice, that we would know your voice and we'd follow you wherever you go. That if you're working in our neighborhood, we would go there. If you're working in our school, we would go there. If you're working in our workplace, we would go there with you and be a part of the work you're doing there. If you're calling us to come back to the barn, to rest in our church community, to let them speak life into us, that we would go there with you. I pray that we'd be a church filled with your life. That we'd be a church that's always in motion, always running to your life as followers of you. In your name, amen. We're just going to wrap up by reflecting and singing a song called Run to the Father, which has kind of been, um, uh, along with the series, is kind of the namesake for where Pastor Michael came with the, the sake of the series. It's running to God again and again because God does not tire of us. And he just invites us to come back and over and over to him again. So I just invite you to join us in that. And uh, again, however you're comfortable, you stand, sit, reflect on the words. If you know them, sing them out with all your heart.